And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome to Eastcast. I'm Nia Charpentier and I'm here with uh, fellow Eastcasters Pearl Wise and Melanie Brown. And we're here to bring you the best in arts and culture stuff happening all across East London. And on the show today, we've been looking into our back catalogue as we've been revamping our website and have come across some old gems. So we have an interview with an artist who has been planting mushrooms around East London and another about a workshop where you can make your own shoes. Yes, and I've been pretty busy lately. I spoke to Karen Elms from the Building Exploratory about what they can do to encourage us to look up at buildings and Matt Broughton about building dens. And we'll also be hearing from East London-born athlete Christine Ahuarugu about what she makes of a new sculpture walk that's opening in the next few weeks. And Pearl, you've got some music for us too, haven't you? Of course, of course. As usual, a rich and varied selection from people playing somewhere east over the next couple of weeks. So stick around for a bit of uh, Dressmaker, Lawrence Crane, Julia Holter, Soul to Soul, and let's kick off the show with the big, bold sound of Slow Club. So I saw you turn from me the other night Right there I knew that I was losing you And so I clenched my fist so tight you couldn't see Right there I knew that I was losing me And oh, 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 Will time wash away Oh, will I suffer
that was Suffering Me, Suffering You by Slow Club. And to celebrate the release of their new album, Complete Surrender, the duo are performing at a free gig at Rough Trade East on Monday the 14th. Wow, amazing voice. Thanks, Pearl. A few months back, I interviewed the creator of a new sculpture walk that's being developed in East London called The Line. It's now just a few weeks until it opens, and not surprisingly, they've got a lot of support from the locals, including Olympic athlete and East London born and bred Christine Ahurugu. I think The Line could really positive for the area because... I think it's always nice to introduce something new and something that people don't really expect. And I think art always raises the kind of the quality of any environment. And I just think it'll be, it'll add something different and something new to the area, which people haven't really experienced before. Newham born and bred. I will continue to live in Newham. I love the area and I, I really do think it's, it's wonderful if other people can enjoy the area, not just for like the buildings, but for the, you know, the natural beauty that is there that people don't always realize is there. But I think there's something special in the creativity in art that you can always bring into sport, which can be quite helpful. Um, but I think, as I said earlier, it's just something that is very pleasant for people to see while they're running or walking. It's great to showcase current art. So it's, it's kind of works in well in both, you know, both parties, that the, the athletes or the joggers or the walkers are something nice to look at and then the, the artists have their work showcased. In athletics, we had a similar idea where we brought athletics out of the stadium and into the streets. We have street games, so you have the same things you'd have in a stadium, but we had it outside for people to see it. And I think it's providing a, a new environment for people to witness um, sport. Likewise with the art, it's providing a new environment for people to actually witness art. And you don't always have to be in a stuffy gallery, not saying that all galleries are stuffy, but you can be in a different environment and still experience and enjoy art. And I think that's the nice thing about the line, it's, a bringing, it's like bringing art to the people. And <laughs> I hate that cliche term, but it's, it's, it's doing exactly that. So we will keep you updated um, on when the line finally opens, but we have been told that, yeah, it's in the in the next few weeks. So keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, discovering some of these sculptures that we've been hearing so much about. Sounds, uh, sounds pretty cool. So, you know, I like to keep things quite eclectic. Yes. Um, <laughs> What have you done? Uh, I haven't played anything this hard on the show before. And if you are listening on Monday morning, this is definitely going to be your wake-up call. Um, Here's a word of warning. It's going to be noisy and distorted. And if that sounds a bit scary, turn the volume on your laptop down now. So Dressmaker kick off their UK uh, tour at Power Lunches on Tuesday the 15th of July. And to be honest, I can't think of anything more intense to do on a Tuesday uh, than be in the basement with this lot. So here's Dressmaker with Glass.
brain feels distorted after <laughs> listening to that. That was quite something. It's pretty intense. Pretty full on. Wake up, people. <laughs> now, I have one fact about thrash metal. Not a big fan personally, but did you know that Angola loves thrash metal? That's it. It does. There's this um, couple who run an orphanage, and one of them's really big into thrash metal, and he's started the first thrash metal concert in Angola, which I think is having its second year this year. Oh. So lots of young kids. So it's sort of pilgrimage for. No, there's people. They had, you know, because they had a terrible war there, and I suppose it's he thinks Good it's release. quite a clever way yeah. of getting mm. young people to get, get their aggression out in this type of music. What's quite clever. I wonder if there are any Angolan thrash metal bands. Yeah, there are. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's because he was in one, and I yeah. think he wanted to sort of encourage it. And it's the so there's this growing thrash metal scene in Angola. I am going to look that up. Who'd have thunk it? Now, like many a thrash metal fan, we've probably all had to say goodbye to a beloved pair of shoes. Maybe them because they're in the mosh pit too much, um, and they become too worn out to wear. But what if you can make your own perfect shoe? Nia went to meet the founders of a shoe company who are helping people do just that. I'm here with Amanda Luisa and Johnny Cazola from I Can Make Shoes in their studio in Hackney Downs. Guys, tell me how did it all start? Well, we wanted to come up with a way that we could teach people how to make shoes from home without any heavy machinery. So we just sort of started a business. We thought we'll start to run a couple of courses and see how it goes. And that was like three years ago. So turns out there's lots of people that want to make shoes. <laughs> and what are your backgrounds? Well, I learned shoemaking in Australia. Traditional shoemaking includes a lot of heavy machinery and lots of old techniques. So I did that in Australia. And when I got to England, I couldn't find any suppliers and I couldn't find anywhere I could use the machines. So... I just sort of came up with a way of doing it with minimal machines from home so that I didn't have to sort of use all that stuff. And what about you, Johnny? I'm a designer, so I've, I do more like the website. I do the kind of business side of things. <laughs> but you have an interest in shoes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he does now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what can people expect from one of your courses? Different things, really. I mean, a pair of shoes for a start. We teach people the simplest way to make shoes from home. So you can expect to leave with the skills to make your own shoes from home, material lists, everything you need. And you were saying earlier that people often have an idea of what they want when they come to one of your courses. Yeah, some people come with no idea and no expectation and some people come with a very structured idea. They know exactly what they want. They just need to know how to make it, basically. And what are some of the most bizarre shoes that people on your course have made? I've actually had two people on separate occasions bring in bras and pants and take the the um, lace off it and turn it into shoes. They've actually turned out quite well, though. So you can make different kinds of shoes on different courses? Yeah. Do you want to just say well, a bit this, about that? This one is obviously a ballet pump, so you'd make something like this in our ballet pump workshop. This shoe actually has zero stitching in it, so it's completely made just using glue and things. So somebody could make that from home even if they don't even own a sewing machine. How long is the course? The course the runs from 10 until 4, but once you sort of get the hang of it, I mean, I made these in less than an hour, so once you sort of get the hang of the technique, you can really just power through them. And what's the yeah. quality like if a shoe takes an hour to make? Yeah, it's good. I mean, we use really high-quality leathers here. We use really strong glues. So they all stay together really well. I mean, the most important thing about our process is that we use modern materials. So a lot of the stiffness and things we use, traditional shoemakers aren't even using yet. The quality is very good. They can last a long time. You've got a sandal-making workshop. What can people expect from that? Oh, pretty much anything. We're really open with the sandal making course. Um, it's a half day. That's plenty of time to make a pair of sandals. We have people coming in making totally random things. And we've got people coming in copying what's really on trend at the moment. And the sandal making is a good one. It's sort of instant gratification because, you know, you can make something really cool really quickly. Are you guys the only people doing this? There are other shoemaking courses on the market. We're the only people who teach without the use of heavy machinery. Our technique is sort of ours alone, I guess. We're also the only people that sort of give people flexibility to make whatever they want in terms of style. 
And do you guys make all your own shoes? I used to make all of my own shoes a bit more than I do now. I'm in workshops every single weekend. And in my spare time, I'm making shoes for the studio. So I usually make myself a pair of shoes every month or something like that. Yeah, I usually just wear trainers when I'm in the studio. <laughs> Don't want to sort of... I know, I was disappointed yeah. that you were wearing... But Johnny, you've got your own shoes on, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> do you want to describe them? Um, imagine an elf running through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What would he be wearing? Very nice. yeah. Very sophisticated elf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so is it only women that come on your courses? Uh, no, we've had quite a few men come in. We've only had a few men that want to actually make men's shoes, but we've had quite a few men making shoes for women. We actually had That's one... very romantic. Yeah, we actually had one man came, uh, come in to make a pair of shoes for his wife, and she had an old pair of green pumps that she'd just worn to death, and she'd been looking for another pair everywhere. And couldn't find them. So he actually came in and made her a pair. It was Aww. so sweet. That's romance for you. I think all the women in the course were sort of wishing it, was, yeah, wishing it was their <laughs> husband. <laughs> and what sort of other things do people do with their skills um, once they leave? Yeah, we've had a few people go on to do things. Some start collections, some start designing. We actually had a woman who took the technique over to Ghana and um, taught the technique to a local group of people who then created a sort of business making using the technique to make using local materials to make a sustainable business and so if people want to find out more where what should they do uh they should just go on our website which is icanmakeshoes.com great and you're based here in hackney down studios yeah fantastic um i'm very tempted looking around and seeing these weird and wonderful shoes to maybe uh make my own pair (laughs) thanks a lot guys thanks thank you and so i can make shoes.com are now also offering bags uh to bag making workshops so they've um expanded into more accessories so they're um at hackney down studios so just go to their website if you fancy going on one of their courses Pearl, what have we got next? Are you scared? <laughs> yeah. More thrash metal? No, right. Let's, let's calm. Calming. Yeah, something a little bit more calm and meditative. So um, I have something from contemporary composer Lawrence Crane, um, and his works are going to be performed by experimental music specialist Apartment Ensemble. Um, who've been championing his uh, work since the mid-90s. And to celebrate the release of a new double CD of Crane's work, um, they'll be playing his work at Café Otto on Tuesday the 15th of July. Um, So I'm going to play one of his pieces from a series called Seven Short Pieces, and it's played by the Apartment Ensemble. And I think this is piece number six. was Lawrence Crane with seven short pieces and possibly just the use of three notes, I think. Um, so, Pearl, I've noticed a bit of a pattern recently with the interviews you've been creating around London. They're all related to interesting uses of local spaces, and this week's is no exception. Pearl went to visit a charity called Building Exploratory, and they create ways for people to engage with their local environment.
My name is Karen Elms and I'm the Lifelong Learning Officer at the Building Exploratory. There's three main areas to the Building Exploratory's work. There's a charitable side where we get funding to run projects, particularly at the moment with older people. So we're working with older people in Hackney and we're working with older people in Islington as well. Um, Inspired by the success of the group in Hackney, we've been setting up a group for older people in Islington who go out and do very similar things. They go out and engage with with buildings. They're very interested in housing and and homes and and looking at how how, how London's housing is going to have to evolve for an an ageing population. We run projects. We'll look to getting funding for, for projects that look at a particular location and we'll, in, we'll, we'll interpret the changes that have happened in, this particular, uh, in, in a particular location. We'll, maybe photography might be used as a way of, of recording a particular place in time. One example is we did in 2012, we looked at the whole of the A12, Whitechapel High Street all the way out to Stratford and we did this by taking photographs of every single building and we sent volunteers out to, re- to research the history of every single building along that route and they're all up on online now and they serve as a it's a resource about about that high street at that particular point in time during the olympics and the other side to our work we'll work on engagement projects with where there's change is happening so uh, that involves working with local authorities for example where we will work with communities around perhaps a, a park that's been changed and we'll, we'll use our expertise in explaining the built environment to engage people in as part of the process of the changes that are happening in that area and to get them to contribute to, to the changes and also understand better what's happening. So it's a two-way a two-way thing. But, but that particularly it's our, our expertise in interpreting the built environment that that is that's, that, that gives us a unique approach. So we've we've recently been working on a on a project where we looked into the history of the listed buildings in Haggerston and we devised a walking tour as part of that one that which that people can download off our website to do themselves as a sort of self-guided tour and we occasionally also do ones where we'll go out and lead a group as part of the walking tour. I didn't realise there were so many listed buildings in Haggerston. It's surprising actually how many there are um, that, and that's what's fascinating is when you, you know, find out about about buildings, you know, it could be a, a, a building from Victorian times or a more recently built building like the Goldfinger School on Haggerson Road, and it's it's surprising when you when you find these things out, and that's what we really enjoy sharing with people. So, really, to summarise, what you do is find ways for people to engage with their environment and help them understand the built environment that they are either living in or visiting. Absolutely, and that would be by looking at the past and looking at the present and sort of merging it all together and then thinking about the future. (laughs) Our main audience group in Hackney at the moment are older people. We've been working with a group of older people that we set up eight years ago and they're called the Senior Building Exploratory Explorers or the Senior Bees for short. A couple of weeks ago we arranged for the Senior Bees to go on a walking tour around the Olympic site led by a wildflower expert. So we don't just look at buildings, we can look at what's in between the buildings as well and in this case what's growing in between the buildings and this guy uh, Bob Gilbert was he's an expert in 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 wildflowers and he gave us the the histories of these of these flowers and and how they'd come to be growing in, in Hackney Wick or on the Greenway and all these places and it gave the group another perspective so we've seen the buildings go up and now we're looking at how the Olympic site's evolving today. And why do you think it's important to engage older people in that way what they enjoy is one thing is the social element coming together as a group um, and going to places they wouldn't ordinarily go to certainly not independently for some of them they enjoy the interactions they have with each other learning from each other um, and they they enjoy the just the learning experience when, from the people that we arrange for them to meet with the architects historians all these experts built environment professionals a lot of them have often said that, that through their lives they've not had the chance to look up at the buildings to learn about the history. One thing that I'm working on at the moment is I've been working with a stroke group. As part of their rehabilitation and recovery from the strokes, they're keen for us to organise walking tours. So I've devised a series of walking tours specifically aimed at the stroke group, where it's a very short 
tours, but that in areas that are really rich in history. So one of them is, is a walking tour through the churchyard gardens in Hackney Central. That's one of the ways that we've, we're working with existing groups of older people as a way for, for more older people to benefit from some of the things that the senior bees enjoy. I really love that idea of rehabilitation through an activity with nothing better than actually engaging in something and concentrating on something else so you're not actually thinking about you know the difficulty or in or the pain or whatever your mind is elsewhere and the, and that's probably the best way to to get people walking absolutely and they and and they, they'll learn things they didn't know about before they'll see things they've not noticed before and then they can share it with their families or they can talk about it so it's not just the on the process not just part of the the benefits during the walk itself it has a, a longer benefit after the walk has happened as well and it gives it gives people insight into where they live and, and see helps them to see it in a different perspective and and if they're you know in the case of the people who are recovering from strokes if they can then share the knowledge that they've gained on the walk then and that that's a, that's an important part of their longer term rehabilitation as well and if the what the the aim there as well is to get the, the stroke the the people who organize the stroke group activities to continue doing these walks self guided without the building exploratory but we can help to support them as part of that process it's inspiring them as well as their service users and um, if people are interested who aren't necessarily older but would like to get involved, I don't know, in some of the tours, or can they can they get involved well, in some one way? One thing that we'd be really, we'd really like is, is, we, we'd, we, is, have, is having help from people as volunteers to help help deliver tours, but, you know, people to come out with the senior bees with us. We can't, couldn't have a huge group, but we're looking to, we'd like to increase um, the volunteers for the senior bees, so that would be... That would be one way in which people could get involved. A great resource for anyone who's interested in, yes. in heritage Absolutely. And, and buildings and even architect, you know, architecture students who are interested in, in that more heritage side it could be quite an interesting That would, that thing. would be really interesting, yes. We'd, we'd, um, we're definitely up for having more volunteers. Um, I do recommend going on their website and you can um, go on this uh, Haggerston tour and it's it's like a Google Maps with all the um, sites and locations and you can just download it and 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 uh, explore all these places. As I said in the interview, I really had no idea there were so many buildings to look at in Haggerston. And um, yeah, they've got, I mean, everything they've done has got some sort of map or guide or something that other people can use later so it's not just it doesn't just happen once it's it's got it's got some sort of um use later on that's cool it yeah. stops you getting lost as well <laughs> yes, I've, done, I've done that a few times going on little tours and we do take you know the amazing sort of architecture for granted i think when we live in london you know and it's important to keep on looking up and down at the flowers as well <laughs> yeah that's true and, and often things you look at frequently take on a new meaning when you know their history as well mm, yeah, definitely that be lovely bit of music, music? Yes. yes okay so i've played uh something from los angeles based uh, julia halter before um she released her third album loud city song last summer and she's back in london to play in i and what i think is probably the perfect location for her sound at st john's at hackney on monday the 21st um, I wasn't actually sure what track to play because I, w- I was kind of tempted by a cover of uh, Paolo Conte that she did, which is like really cheesy Italian style crooning. But I'm not going to play that one. Um, you can you can hear it on the music section of our brand new Eastcast website. Shiny, shiny, shiny new <laughs> Eastcastshow.com. If you haven't seen it, go and have a look. You will be surprised i think um so here is uh, julia holter with gold dust woman gold dust woman take your silver spoon dig your grave heartless challenge Pick your path and I'll pray 
Julia Holter with Gold Dust Woman. Now for something else from the East Cast back catalogue. You probably have seen these multicoloured mushrooms on rooftops across the East End, and former East Caster Tom DeCrow managed to track down the elusive artist responsible for them. I'd like to say that I get permission for most of the works, but they're still 80% illegal. You know, and people tend to leave them there now, and I just go higher. I have better tools now. Um. And is that, is, is that what the enjoyment is for you? Like, the absolutely, kick of absolutely. 3 o'clock in the morning? I mean, the, the making of the work has always been the biggest kick. I just absolutely yeah. love making stuff. You know, I'm a woodworker and a painter and sculptor by, by nature. You know, I love working, doing art. So I'm sat in the living room of Christian Nagel, um, who I, I'm, I'm going to call you by the name that other people have registered you as the Mushroom Man. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Christian has made a name by making vast, amazing, sort of three-dimensional mushrooms. Uh, they're multicoloured and they're on buildings all over East London, but also kind of you stretch wider than that, don't you? Yeah, I've been moving into Europe recently. Um, and and uh, tell me about the mushrooms. Why mushrooms? <laughs> um, the idea uh, just kind of popped up, uh, like all ideas, I suppose. And uh, I was playing with, with the material polyurethane, and I found it at a 
uh, hardware still in South Africa and, and came in two forms, two liquid forms. You mix the two together and the chemical reaction makes them expand and bubble and just go really big, three, four times its size. Um, and I just loved the stuff and I bought five litres of each, went home, poured it into this mould that I had at the time, uh, pulled it out and that looked like a mushroom head. The idea for the mushrooms came from that initial moment, but it's something you've kept with and has your technique for making them changed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's become more refined, I've become more of an artisan and I'm, I'm quite perfectionistic in ICD, believe it or not. Um, so they're a lot more detailed, um, they have more holes in them, they're lighter looking and I'd say more aesthetic. Yeah. The first one's really toxic and like, they like they're, they're, they're absolutely beautiful and you can see why they're so popular and uh, if people listening to this want to see pictures of these mushrooms it's very very easy go onto Google Image um, or you can go onto Chris's website as well uh, which is which will be on our blog as well so there'll be a link on there for you um, but you know there, there are pictures of these all over London uh, because people just love them don't they I mean the public reaction has been fantastic yes um, I suppose because I use primary colours I suppose they're quite light-hearted, you know. And yeah. there's a playfulness about mushrooms, I suppose. It's definitely not taking itself too seriously. Yeah. yeah. But it's also quite a contrast. I know when, when people talk about street art, normally it's some huge mural or spray-painted rat eating a monkey or something yeah. kind of slightly obscure and you don't quite understand it and it's weird. It's pretty aggressive as well. And, and a large fluorescent-coloured mushroom isn't very aggressive. It's, it's quite friendly in the eye. Yeah, I'd say. Um... I've ironically never picked up a spray can and never done a mural in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a street artist, I do it, you know, as a job. Yeah. Uh, how do you choose the locations for them? And is it you, I have this picture of you in, a, in a, all in black, Balaclava, middle night, with a mushroom strapped to your back, kind of climbing well, up the outside. Yes, that's how it started off. It used to be very illegal, and I'd go at 2, 3 in the morning, I'd cycle around during the day, select the spots, work out ways of getting up there, because, you know, in the very illegal days, um, I had to literally climb the buildings, you know, right. climb up gutters, do whatever I could to get up building and not be seen. And I'd do that, and I had these two German guys, they still helped me out, they've been there since the beginning, and we have a mushroom over the shoulder in a black bag, and we just go climb buildings. You know? <laughs> I to install them. Did you ever get caught? Well, I have actually. I've been caught three times. I got chased away at the Choice Overground Station two weeks ago and I did a big pink one there. It was quite late. It was one o'clock in the morning. I was pissing down with rain. It was a really dangerous installation, actually. But anyway, so they stopped me, took our names, and then 30 minutes after they arrested us, we were like, fuck it, let's finish this thing. And went back, got up, scooted in, and then left. And so it's still there, which is cool. Excellent, excellent. So, yeah, a minor brush with the law isn't going to put you on. That's wonderful. Um, but I imagine some do get uh, taken down or get stolen. Does that, does that annoy you? Yeah, very, very badly. I did four installations on the Thames recently. Um, did the installation on these big mooring posts. You know, where boats tied the, uh, themselves to. Uh, did four installations there. They lasted for about a week. It got incredible pictures. Um, and I think the Navy had actually removed them recently. So I went back and they're gone. And it's it? just a lot of time and effort and money, you know, yeah. gone into that. Absolutely. Um, but you're also making miniature mushrooms as well. Yeah, I started playing with, uh, the thing is, I, I did some smaller mushrooms before for people who like to work but can't, you know, for tens of thousands of pounds to buy bigger sculptures. Um, and making the smaller ones actually took me longer than what it took me or takes me to make a street piece because they're so intricate and the expanding foam's pressure is really high. So to make a small little blob or dollop of expanding foam, you need to be very intricate and very sensitive with your nozzle. Um, so I started working with uh, silicon and making moulds. So these are moulds, so I can replicate them. So this is, I suppose, my version of a print that other street artists would do prints. I do moulded uh, casting plaster mushrooms. And, and listen, these mushrooms are kind of, what, three inches high? So they're kind of they're, they're, you can put them on your coffee table. Um, the the real ones I'm looking at are what four foot high by kind of what a foot and a half wide. Um, they're massive, massive monsters. Um, I I'd, I'd still like one in my living room. Um, well, I, I'm pretty sure I can't afford it. Uh, they look they look incredible. Now you mentioned to me earlier that you are off to Rome next week. Is that is that for work? I'm actually turning thirty on Friday, so that that's a, a birthday thing. But I, I will be doing some mushrooms. <laughs> So, so mushrooms are now going uh, going pan pan Europe. Yeah, I actually started going pan Europe uh, 
about six months ago when I first started going to Berlin. So I've been to Berlin twice ever since. I've been to Paris and been to Barcelona recently. So, so people can do world tours of Mushrooms Bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Christian, thanks very much. It's been a real pleasure to meet you. Um, and uh, there will be a link to Christian's uh, website on our blog. Thanks very much. Thank you. Actually, the place I'm just about to talk about has got one of those mushrooms oh. right around the corner. Oh. So you can, uh, you can check it out. Um, so to continue on my spaces and places theme uh, in East London, here's Matt Broughton, one of the brains and hands behind the collaborative workspace Creative Blocks and its on-site cafe Curio Cabal. Very, very and he became a mentor of mine in the early 90s. I came 90s. to London. We give information uh, uh, about uh, by growing up in such a bizarre, sad things, good things, yet creative. It's all about life. It's, it's quite weird to think it was only a year and a half ago that we started it because when we did it, it you know, we had this building with wires and bricks and mortar all over the place and it was... It was a real state and it really felt like um, we'd bitten off way more than we can chew. I remember my dad coming and having a look at this place and him just like, being shell-shocked. He comes in now and he's just, he just laughs his head off because he can't, <laughs> he can't believe it, which is actually, that, that's, that's when I feel proud actually about it because he walked into some of the rooms and you could tell he didn't want to be negative but he was really concerned about, about the money <laughs> and the, the time we're investing into this decrepit old building but... I mean, if I'm going to have one moment of vanity, I'd probably say I'm one of the best den makers ever. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about this business. I'm talking about old bits of wood and rusty nails. We are constantly evolving, and we're constantly finding little bits to nail up in places. Describe it as a den, probably for me, is the, the best metaphor for it. Really, you know, it is a business, and it does pay pay the bills just about now. <laughs> but it's um, it's it's not really. It genuinely isn't about that for me. It's. It's about having somewhere to go during the day for your job that's enjoyable. Initially there was four partners involved, one of which I was running music events with for about five years. He was actually running this space as a, a sort of live workspace. And he approached myself and a friend of mine, uh, who's now the remaining partner in the business, Jeremy. He ran a record label called Join the Dots, and I was basically running the events for Join the Dots and doing a few other things. Me and Jeremy came on board, Tom offered us this opportunity to kind of take on the building and then the four of us collectively kind of came up with this idea. I think me and Jeremy kind of more had the idea of running a workspace and I think Tom and Anna at the time had been running a pop-up coffee shop called Curio Cabal. The workspace came first and the coffee shop we had to apply for planning on the, the part of the building. In a roundabout way the coffee shop ends up being a very sort of important part of the, the business and the one thing that's pretty evolving things the most now actually. I think we had a massive diversity of people in here, more so than maybe some other hubs from uh, floral designers to music management artists to stylists. And it was, it was a real kind of melting pot of lots of different things. And only now I think we're kind of getting a much stronger idea of, of the sort of energy that we kind of want in the space and the sorts of businesses which kind of work really well together. And there's a, a totally different energy than there was when we started. Obviously, people do know each other a bit better now, but people feel more comfortable in the space. We've developed the space, you know, the coffee shop's much more buzzing now and it looks prettier and people are just interacting more now. We've, we've developed the garden space outside and I think when you put energy into somewhere, I think it, it, it does come back to you and I think we've always been very aware of how we, how we come across in the space as well. It's kind of our responsibility to keep a, a certain energy up. It is a family and it feels more like that now than, than, it, than it ever has before, actually. And it's lovely. They'll be hosting a night of cocktails in their outside enclosure on the evening of Friday the 26th of July. We'll put all the details up on East Car Show. Um, and I highly recommend going down because I went um, last month and their cocktails are pretty good. I had a few too many, but they were good, which is rare <laughs> is, is for there me. such a thing? Too many cocktails? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because I, I had to try every single one. Surely, of course you did, yes. You know? So, um, yeah, I, I, I do recommend that. So, ladies, what listings do you have for us over the next fortnight? Well, 
This lady says there's been a lot of drama in the World Cup last week, but if the World Cup has given you a thirst for all things Brazilian, then you can head on down to the Hackney Picture House on Friday the 18th of July um, because they're screening a film about the well-known music DJ Giles Peterson and his recent journey to Rio. Um, while Giles was out there, he assembled an amazing cast of Brazilian musicians, collectively named Sonzera, or Sonzera, we need Anna to help us pronounce that properly, um, and he wanted them to put together the guide to Brazilian music for the discerning music lover. Um, and out of this emerged a record called Brazil Bam Bam Bam, which is a journey through the different flavours of Brazilian music culture. And anyway, all of this was captured on film, and it's quite nice because it sort of goes beyond the Copacabana cliches. Um, but the real excitement of the evening is that Jazz Peterson will be there for a Q&A after the film. Excellent. So if you like music mm. and you like Brazil, go along. <laughs> um, and I've got one. It's all going to be happening in Gillett Square on July the 22nd, and it's organised by a, um, a youth-led social enterprise, and they're putting on a free exhibition which will have spoken word, uh, music, all sorts of performances, and nail bars. And you might think, oh, that's a bit of a, a funny combination. But the nail bars aspect is actually quite interesting. So um, this this social enterprise, YH World, works closely with Art Against Knives, who work with gang-involved young people across the borough. And they have found that involving young girls um, who are involved with gangs uh, and training them up to be uh, nail technicians and working in nail bars is a really good way of engaging with them. So uh, they've been getting them trained up and so they'll be doing sort of free nail sessions there um, all day. And that's 3pm all the way through to 10pm on July the 22nd in and around Gillett Square in Dalston. So I think that's well worth going down to. So next up, uh, a town from Back to the Future is being recreated on Hackney Road. So there's going to be film screenings uh, running from the 24th of July to the 31st of August in secret locations. And we'll put the details of that on our website um, and apparently it will transport you back to 1955, 1985 and then all the way to 2015. So um, if you're a Back to the Futures fan then uh, go along to that. I hope they do that electric guitar bit, that was my favourite part. (laughs) I just remember bunting in a town hall clock tower. Yes, yes. (laughs) McFly. Yes, that's the one. (laughs) Hackney isn't short of bunting, so, you know, I'm sure sure they'll be able to recreate it. And then next up is a a pop-up design stall by uh, Jojo Design Graphics and Prints. And they make these incredible hand-drawn maps of parts of London. And she's she's been selling quite well online, but she's going to be doing a pop-up shop for one week, starting July the 14th. And that's on Clerkenwell Green. And you can find all of the details of all of the things we've just mentioned on our new and improved and very shiny and lovely <laughs> website. Which we is, can't stress this enough. No, we're feeling quite proud it. about the yeah, website, we in fairness. Um, and that's eastcastshow.com. And you can also keep an eye out on Twitter and Facebook too, um, at eastcastshow. So all the listings and interviews and also the gigs Pearl has been mentioning throughout the show, they're all there. Go find them. Yep. And I suppose a last listing, if you've had your head kind of in a paper bag for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. I was wondering what you were going to say then. Um, You probably, uh, well, most people know that Lovebox is going to be taking over Victoria Park on Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th of July. Not personally my thing, but um, I'm sure MIA will give uh, an amazing performance. That that should be good. And there are also veterans soul-to-soul who will be keeping it real and playing some old school classics I'm sure so I couldn't resist I couldn't resist I'm gonna um, play you a bit of soul to soul back to life this is a slightly boosted up re-edit so here they are thanks for listening